if it wasn't for the real-time voice of God that has directed me down a certain path, has preserved me when I've gotten myself in trouble, <laughs> and has directed me when I've been in the crucible, I don't know where I would be. Welcome to the Point View Stories podcast, where we believe in sharing testimonies of Jesus transforming people who transform their world. My name's Joe Shannon, and I'm part of the leadership team here at Point View Church in Washington, Pennsylvania. We started this series to circulate memories of God's redemption in our community, to encourage us and increase our faith for what God will do in the future. All right, Mr. Rick Newton is with us today, which I know will promise to be an amazing conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Rick, thanks so much for joining us. You've been coming to the church, I suppose, even before the land on Point View Drive was purchased back in the 80s, the very early days. A lot has happened between then and now, but before we hear too much more about your story, we're just going to start off with some quick-fire questions. Sounds good. First question, what was your best vacation memory? My best vacation memory would be when I went down to Myrtle Beach, and I think I've only done this once in my life, and we I actually took two weeks Ooh. off. And I uh, forget what we did. All I know is I was off work for two weeks and uh, I experienced something that I had rarely experienced on vacation, which was I actually got rest yeah. and I felt rejuvenated and ready to go back to work. By the time I was done with the first week, all of that tension, everything had drained out and I was actually able to rest and really enjoy the, you know, the next week. And, I, and then I was ready to go back to work towards the end or the middle of the, the second week. Okay, so I know you're a movie buff, but which is the movie that you have seen the most times? Not your favorite movie, <laughs> just the one that you've seen the most. Oh my gosh. It would be a tie between Shawshank Redemption, mm -hmm. because anytime that that's on TV, it seems like I have to turn it on. And I would probably say one of the Avengers movies, because my granddaughter, Phoebe, every time <laughs> she's repeat. over, she wants to watch a Marvel movie. And it's always got to be Avengers. And even though I try to mix it up, she always ends up going to uh, the original Avengers movie or uh, Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> Very good. Okay. What is the best place to eat in Washington? There's a number of places that I like to go, but I would probably say the one that um, always is, is, the, is the right quality and the right atmosphere that we're looking for is Angelo's. Yeah. Yep. You knew I was going to say I that. I knew probably. you were going to say that. You take everyone there. Okay. Favorite teacher in school? Oh. We're going all over here. Man, it's, it's, a, it's a tie between my sixth grade teacher, Mr. O'Hare, who um, helped me realize that there might be something beyond this life. Mm. And I think he probably was a Christian, but he asked me a question that helped me start thinking about things. Or Mr. Carroll, who is my... 12th grade English teacher, who's probably everybody's favorite teacher. He made even Shakespeare fun. <laughs> okay, last question. What was your first job growing up? My first real job um, was working at the Unimart in uh, it's Henderson Avenue, wow. out towards on 18 there. 
a friend of mine was working there and he got me in there. And so that was my first like go in, punch Stocking the clock. Shelves. Yeah, stock the shelves, you know, take people's money, whatever. There was like a hundred different things that you had to do. And I worked an entire summer at the Unimart on wow. Henderson Avenue in Washington, Pennsylvania. Very good, very good. So speaking of growing up, why don't we maybe start at the very beginning um, I think a lot of people at Point View Church know you, own a business, but I'm sure there's there's tons of your story that a lot of people don't know. So maybe set the scene for us a little bit. How did Rick Newton come to find and follow Jesus? Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm the fourth of four boys. My parents got divorced fairly when I was fairly young. We we had always struggled financially, so I would say we we grew up poor. It wasn't until my mom had to raise us four boys. We moved to Cannonsburg, grew up in a somewhat rough part of the neighborhood over there. And I remember the the kind of the shame of being on food stamps and being on welfare and requiring government assistance to make ends meet, not knowing, you know, if we had enough food. Again, four boys, you know, growing up, you know, cleaning out the house, right. you know, every couple of weeks. And um, my mom got remarried and her and my stepfather bought a house in West Alexander in the McGuffey School District. And that, that, was, that played a, a really important role in my life because, I mean, it was a pretty diverse environment in Cannonsburg. A little bit, you know, had to fight your way home every once in a while to kind of prove yourself to the neighborhood kids. But here I am in West Alexander and it's kind of like farm country. I was a city boy and people are wearing cowboy hats, cowboy boots, and they even had guns. They're carrying rifles on the bus. <laughs> like, and, and they're part of the rifle team. But I was like, what is happening? And, uh, and all of that was just so crazy. And I, like I said, I thought my world had fallen apart until I saw the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. And uh, to make a long story short, I would eventually um, date her and marry her. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's Terry, obviously. But through through those high school years, and I can see it clearly now. I didn't see it at at that time, but because I hadn't really been fathered, I hadn't really been parented, and in many ways, the, the parental inversion that marked a lot of my early years, even adult years, where I became the parent to to my parents, that started mm-hmm. um, even when I was in high school. And I tried to be all things to all people, so I wanted to be the the class clown. I wanted to be the class brain. I wanted to be the athlete. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be the religious guy. I went to campus life on Monday nights, and then I went out drinking with my friends on Tuesday nights. And all of that I now understand is because I didn't have a sense of who I was. I didn't have my identity affirmed. I didn't really know, you know, I hadn't had these existential questions of why am I here answered. And so I was just trying to please everybody, and I was kind of in hyper-performance mode. And for the most part, I, I performed well in all of those areas, and that fed that performance orientation throughout high school. I did very well academically. Um, I was actually the, the valedictorian of my high school class, and I had no idea what I was going to major in. And um, I was the point guard of our high school basketball team, and coming home from uh, probably a shellacking, I was thinking about, you know, how could we do how could we have won that game? I was pretty self-introspective, pretty hyper-competitive, and always angry when we lost, which was frequently, actually. And uh, and so a friend of mine, Dave, asked me on, he interrupted that thought and said, hey, you know, Rick, what are you going to major in in college? 
And I said, I have no idea. Well, he said, you should major in chemical engineering. You're pretty smart. Um, you, uh, um, you know, you, right now uh, there's a bill going through Congress that's going to make sure that, you know, uh, there's an energy bill that's going to make sure that chemical engineers are always in high demand and you'll be able to have a job afterwards. Well, again, from my background growing up poor, that sounded good to me because he, he's just telling me I could make a lot of money. I'll have a guaranteed job. And up to that point, I, I, I had a lot of selfish ambition. I wanted to be someone. I wanted to do something. And this was as good as any path that I could think of. I mean, that was as much career counseling as I had gotten from my family or from the school guidance counselor, yeah. to be honest with you. And it just so happened that this girlfriend of mine was applying to a college I had never heard of called Grove City College. And, uh, and so I looked into it and lo and behold, it had a chemical engineering major. And I went, oh, okay, well, this is a good fit. And what was interesting about that is we both applied. I got accepted. She didn't. <laughs> and, um, and so, and, and there was purpose in that. And so I go to Grove City College and, and one of the, th and it's a Christian school. And up to that point, I would say I had what you would call fire insurance. So I had, you know, I'd given my heart to Jesus, but, um, but like I said, I was still doing my own thing. And, and so I actually, I'm not sure I was a Christian, but when I, my freshman year, there was a class called religion and philosophy where they basically went through all of the different religions and philosophies of the world and held them up in the light of Christianity and, and compared them and showed why Christianity is a, a, a better way. And one of the books, one of the textbooks was a new American standard Bible that you had to read. And so here I am reading scripture, which I had a Bible, but it wasn't something that I did often at all. And I came across a scripture uh, in Matthew, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but lose his soul? Uh, classic scripture, but it arrested me because up to that point, like my one older brother, he became a fire and brimstone kind of like preacher. Um, and he's, I remember one time he said, Rick, eternity is an awful long time to spend in hell. So he, he, <laughs> it's probably why I at least thought I had to have my fire insurance. I mean, nobody wants to go to, to hell. And, uh, and so that was kind of echoing in my brain. And then all of this drive that I had, this hyper-competitiveness, this desire to be all things to all people, to not live like I had grown up with that shame and not having enough. And so I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to do something that was major, that would be known. And so when I saw that verse, it arrested me. And I said, okay, let's extrapolate this out. What if I lived for a thousand years? And what if I was the acknowledged king of the world? And everyone said, Rick Newton is the best. And what if I had, you know, anything I wanted, right? Um, all the gold, all the glory, all the girls. What if I just had it all? And even for a thousand years. And then I still you know, went to hell. And the, the words of my brother echoed in my head when I was thinking about that. And I just said, you know what? Eternity is just way too long, right? I, you know, this is the way I'm thinking. And so reading my Bible, I said, uh, that's way too long. You know, I don't want to lose my soul. And then, so at that point I made him the Lord of my life. And I said, I'm going to do this Christianity thing. It seems like the right thing. I've been learning about it a whole lot more than I ever had before. We were kind of like the the Easter Christmas Christian, you know, family, but we didn't go very consistently. And so, you know, just that building up in me, seeds planted through campus life, seeds planted through my brother. And then that scripture that arrested me that day, all by myself in my dorm room, that's when I gave my heart to the Lord. Yeah. And, and what changed 
after that moment? I mean, that totally turned my world upside down. So here I was majoring in chemical engineering because I thought I could make a lot of money. But not only did I become a Christian, I started realizing, man, I liked spending more time in the computer lab than I did the chemistry lab. And, uh, and then I also noticed something else, that the people that were in the chemical engineering program actually loved what they were doing. And here I was struggling and killing myself and working all hours and long hours into the night studying, learning a topic and a subject matter that I actually was not interested in. But I just thought that's what you had to do in order to you know, get a good job. You just had to learn something and I'd get paid well because I'm learning something that nobody else either you know, could or wanted to learn. And again, because of now that I'm a Christian, I'm like, well, what does God want me to do? So that had me ask a different question about my career. And so because I didn't want anyone to think that I was a quitter, I finished out my chemical engineering degree and I added this computer science major on top of it. And so here I was, you know, I kind of went away from the thing that I thought would make me money. And then I started doing the thing that I was actually good at. I actually enjoyed the, the computer classes that I was taking, found out that I was a really good programmer, um, got a job with a, a very prestigious consulting firm where we designed computer systems. And then about four years into that career, I started realizing I was working 70, 80 hours a week. It was crazy. I mean, how much you know was required of you. And by that time, Terry and I were married and we and had Joshua and I just wasn't spending any time with them. And so um, because of that, I was like, uh, the, my client offered me a job and that was very attractive to me because I would, in theory, get more work-life balance. But they also, the, the, the icing on the cake that really swayed me was they were going to pay for me to get my MBA. And so probably a year into working for them, I started the MBA program at the University of Pittsburgh. And that's when I realized what I was born to do, which was to be an entrepreneur. I thoroughly enjoyed and was totally fulfilled by that program, not because of the three letters that it gave me on my resume, but because this is what I was born to do. I started learning about business. And, um, and even though it was the hardest thing I'd ever done up to that point, because I had to, I, I worked 40, 50 hours a week, and then I would go into the University of Pittsburgh three nights every week, uh, leaving my wife and my son at home. And then I had to do homework when I either got home or homework on those off nights. I had to write papers over the weekend. That's the way it was for three years. Um, even though it was one of the hardest things, it was still one of the most satisfying and most fulfilling things I'd ever done because it helped me understand you know, what I was born to do. So chemical engineering, I thought I would go into that because I could make money. Computer science, I went into that because it was what I was good at. But when I got my MBA, I realized that's what I was born to do. And that, that whole span from the bus ride home from the basketball game and Dave asking me that question to when I graduated from my MBA was 12 years. as a 12-year journey to find out why I was born. Um, and who I was and started to get some of those, you know, questions answered. Yeah. And I obviously hear 12 years. I mean, that's a long time. And I think we often want the, the quick answers or the specific direction. And it usually happens a lot differently than that. And, and God moves more suddenly. So, so after this kind of key awakening for you, what happened from that point on? I had a choice. I was either going to start my own company or join another boutique consulting firm that a lot of my friends and professional colleagues had joined. 
through a discernment process, I, I ended up joining that small consulting firm. And while I was there, again, more character development, that was my Joseph prison. Um, I mean, here I am, I'm making a lot of money. I'm in a real nice office, but I was miserable because that was not what God had called me to be. And in the meantime, I'm sitting in church and pretty consistently, and anyone who was around, again, I'm not embellishing, I would say at least three or four times throughout the year, prophets would call me out and say, you're called to own your own business. You're called to be a paymaster in the kingdom of God. God's calling you to be a wealthy man. Da, 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 da. And it would just consistently, so much so that I got so tired of it. I would like, God, you've got to get me to that place. I'm tired of hearing it. I get it. I've, I'll re I receive those words. I'll go start my own business. But when am I supposed to start my business? And um, I found that the the... The Christian four-letter word, right? There's a lot of four-letter words that aren't appropriate for people to say. But the the one four-letter word that Christians hate more than any other is the word wait. And, and I had a hard time waiting. Again, it was about submitting. And I had to learn how to serve somebody else's vision before the Lord would give me my own vision and get with the program and not be have a critical spirit and not be judgmental and just be content where God has planted me and do my best and do it as unto the Lord. And that was a, those are all major lessons that I had to learn. And then finally, some doors opened for me to start my own business. So back in, it was 2003, uh, this was, 2003 was not a good time for technology companies. And so the company needed, we needed to lay some people off. So the leadership team was getting together to talk about who to lay off. And I raised my hand and I said, you can lay me off. And I had actually done this the year before. That was one of my fleeces. And they just said, Newton, shut up. Be we're, quiet. We're, yeah, be quiet. <laughs> you're, you're not, we're, you know, you're staying, you know. And so then the second time, the next year, same thing. I raised my hand and they said, are you serious? I went, oh, okay. They didn't say no. I said, I am serious. I said, I'm feeling like you're, you're increasingly asking me to travel. I said, so I'm, I'm thinking of doing something else anyway. And so they took me up on it, and I got two months severance. I got two months of runway to, to start my own company, and that happened in 2003. Wow. And, and, you know, there's so many different directions we could take this discussion and, yeah. and talk about what God has done since then and in terms of transforming your business and the growth you've seen to over, I think, 180-plus employees now. And, and I'm obviously aware you, you recently sold a majority of the business uh, to your management team, so you can focus your time on the things that God is calling you into. Yeah, which is another story for another time. But but with the time we do have left, I'd I'd love to hear as God has been with you and led you throughout your life so far. What what are some things in your personal walk with the Lord, like like key lessons or, or principles that have guided you in your journey? Uh. Wow. You know, there's a couple of things, you know, seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto you. When you give your heart to the Lord and you put everything on the line and you seek first what he wants, it really does. Everything else does come into alignment. It may not be the way you want it to be, but it does come into alignment. The second thing is man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Um, so many times we try to make Christianity into a, a, a rule book. And, and actually, in some ways, we think that would be easier, right? Just tell me what I'm supposed to do so that I can live an abundant life. And the reality is God's not about that at all. He's about relationship. And he wants us to listen. 
And I don't know where I would be without God speaking to me through scripture, without the, the, the prophetic words that have come through seasoned prophets and through friends and family. If it wasn't for the real-time voice of God that has directed me down a certain path, has preserved me when I've gotten myself in trouble, <laughs> um, and has directed me when I've been in the crucible, I don't know where I would be. I mean, the, uh, an example of that, and, and you are a part of this, uh, we have a weekly prayer meeting. It's an intercessory prayer meeting where we pray for the company and everyone in it and for each other. This group of Christians have come together to do that in my company. And that's just the lifeblood um, of a what I call a kingdom company, a company that was dedicated to the Lord to advance the kingdom. Now, we don't you know, use faith-based language every day in, in our operations and, and how we do things, but we have dedicated the company to the Lord. And so part of that is let's consistently come before him and pray for it. And when the company was going through a crucible or a very, very dark time, I remember when the Lord spoke Matthew 13 to us and praying through those scriptures. First of all, like I don't have these like experiences where God speaks scripture verses that I don't know. He'll speak the the words and I'll have to go look it up and find out where that is in the Bible. But when he says Matthew 13, I'm like, I don't even know. Okay. I wake up, Matthew 13's on my heart and you go look it up and you say, okay. And then together as a team, we prayed through that. That kept me from making some very bad decisions. And to see the fruit of that years later, that was probably three, four years ago when we were praying through that scripture. But man, thank you, Lord, for giving us an entire chapter. And there's so many other lessons about that chapter. Then we went backwards to Matthew 12. We went forwards to Matthew 14. And there were so many keys of ways we were supposed to pray through this a very difficult time where we, we didn't know if we were going to make payroll from month to month. It was very, very difficult. And God saved us because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then more recently, one of the lessons that I've learned is uh, none of us is called to live out our purpose in life outside the context of community. And I was very independent. I loved being an entrepreneur because that's my own boss. And I could move quickly. I could make left turns and right turns however I wanted to. And I still carried, and I still did that, even when the company was pretty big with over 150 employees. I hadn't learned how to operate in a team. I hadn't learned how to submit myself to the counsel of others. I, I didn't even learn how to, to understand, respect, and receive people, how God designed them, and realize that the different way that they were designed is a gift to me. Like, not everyone has to be like me, right? They're not wrong. They're just different. And then to submit myself and go, wait a second. Oh, wait, you've, you've uniquely created us, and not only... Did you uniquely design us um, for a purpose? You've uniquely designed us to be interdependent with others in a community. And you're just as much about what that community is about and the relationships formed and the growth that happens in that context of that community as he is the purpose for which that community was brought together. In other words, the community is the purpose and they're also called to, to be a blessing and to bring about redemptive, restorative purposes um, in the earth uh, today. And that's what, that's what God's doing in the earth today is restoring and redeeming all facets of society. And he's, he's issuing invitations for people to join him in doing that. 
And we'll never be able to accept that invitation, one, if we don't understand how he's designed us to participate in that, as well as what team or what what community am I supposed to be a part of to help fulfill that? Yeah. Oh, I love those three things. And I, I guess maybe to finish up with a, a final question here, uh, the previous question was about what has guided you in your journey. And that obviously implies that God has been guiding you. So when you when you think about the character of God throughout your life, what would you tell people about who God is? If I start crying, forgive me. <laughs> but one of the things that God has called us to do at the Newton Institute is to help father a fatherless generation. And to really understand the father's heart towards people is sometimes overwhelming. It's a, it's a newer thing for me. And the reason it's emotional for me is because he's been fathering me. So to maybe tie this all up, right? Um, I grew up in a broken home and the desire of my heart was to be fathered. And I just didn't know that. And, um, you know, God says he's a father to the fatherless. And again, through ministries like restoring the foundations and the people that he's put around me um, and him personally fathering me through that process, I've gone from asking him to bless what I'm doing to wanting to be found doing what he's doing in the world today. You know, he's calling all of us to be a part of the redemptive, restorative purposes, to be salt and light to a world that desperately needs Christians to show up at work and at school and at the hospital and in our neighborhoods. And, and this even happens in Christian homes. So many people have not been properly fathered. They've never had design, identity, and purpose spoken over them. And so they go through life just like I did, trying to find, you know, out why am I here or, or you know, trying to be all things to all people. And I, the, the, the thing I love the most about the very character of God um, that I, he's shown me that I've experienced. It's not a lesson. It's not information. This is God has become my father. I love that about him. <laughs> and that he, because he's a good father, is inviting other people to step into that and to help father a fatherless generation. And so I just love that, that character of God, that father heart of God that wants to fill that gap. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much, Rick, for, uh, for sharing your heart and your story today. And I know we've covered a lot of ground today. And so as I bring this closing thought, I encourage those of you listening to just pause and think about the common thread in Rick's story today around God fathering us. Maybe your relationship with your own earthly father was strained or cut short, or, or maybe you didn't even know what it's like to have a father at all. Maybe you recently lost a father, or you had an amazing relationship with your dad. And I just feel that God is saying today to invite him into that father space again, whether that space is an empty one or one filled with pain, or one filled with joy and great memories. Just let God lead you to some forgiveness, or some healing, or maybe some thankfulness 
as you remember all the times that you did spend together. And just ask God if there's anything you need to do or say. It could be a word of forgiveness or a word of thankfulness. And if you want to talk to someone about this a little more, please reach out to us. We can point you to some amazing resources so you can understand the role that Father God plays in your life ahead. Thanks for joining us today on the Point View Stories podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So leave a comment or send us a message on any of our online channels. Make sure you follow or subscribe to this podcast so you can get notified of when we release the next episode. If you have a story of God's transformation in your life, whether it was how you came to follow Jesus or a more recent event, please reach out so we can help spread God's story. Check out pointviewchurch.com to find out more information on our community.